to what is my spooky podcast about. We're not actually changing the name. I just, I wanted to reference the fact that it's Spooktober and we're doing spooky podcasts. So this is a podcast where we sit down fortnightly and we discuss a topic to find out what our podcast is going to be about. Uh, I am your host, Peter Akerley, joined as always by my faithful co-hosts, Matthew Grace. Hello. And Keith Ramsey. Hey. All right, boys, how's it going? Enjoying the first couple days? It's literally only two days into Spooktober, but it's already feeling spookier by the minute. Yeah. I enjoy how you uh, repainted the podcast room to be black and orange for Spooktober. That's clearly what's going on. <laughs> That's totally what I did. Yep. Has no been this way. <laughs> it definitely wasn't always this color scheme. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, October itself, or Spooktober, uh, has been quite eventful. Uh, the first big thing happened, we got uh, the next uh, fighter in Smash Brothers released, yep. revealed, as Steve from Minecraft, uh, was so uh, big that it broke Twitter, <laughs> like moments of it happening. Of course it did. I just love it. It's fucking Minecraft in Smash Brothers now. I like it because he was such a strange character for Smash. Everyone wanted him to be in because he was a good representation of a big game character. Well, it's but probably was, the biggest game to date still. Yeah, yeah it's got the largest community. But at the same friend. time, it's such a weird concept to put into Smash Bros. Yeah, because a lot of the characters from Smash Bros, a big part of their existence is fighting. There are some characters who aren't like the villagers from Animal Crossing and shit like that. But most of the characters have some aspect of fighting yeah. to them. Not to say that Steve from Minecraft doesn't fight. He There's does. an actual end game to Minecraft, and that's killing the dragon. But a much larger part of Steve's existence is not fighting and just peacefully building a home to live in. And uh, we also get uh, palette swaps for Alex, Zombie, and Enderman. And the Enderman reveal itself was pretty damn good of like just snake hiding in the box and it's peeking into the box. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, back to your statement about Steve's existence being just having fun and like peaceful existence. I think this game, or the demo trailer of how Steve plays, exemplifies that that is incorrect. Steve is clearly the next step of the villager from Animal Crossing, where he lives to cause mayhem and chaos. His final smash is literally trapping you in a room full of creepers and TNT and exploding it as he eats steak in the background. He's coming to smash to grief the other fighter. Yeah, he's a griefer. That is it. Okay. So it's This is the guy that you played Minecraft with, that when you logged off for the night and you came back, your house was full of magma and TNT. This is Steve as played by someone on a server, not Steve as played by you and a close friend. Or maybe you and a close friend if your close friend's also a dick. <laughs> um, I just hope that uh, blowing up the TNT in Smash as his ultimate doesn't also cause my computer to crash like it does any time I do blowing up TNT in fucking Minecraft. <laughs> I'm gonna have to keep that in mind. Uh, the other interesting thing, too, is the, the new mechanic that's added for Steve and the other uh, Minecraft characters is they can actually build blocks on the map. And apparently Ooh, Sakurai yeah. had to go back and change all the map's coding. Uh, well, not Sakurai specifically, but they had to figure out how to change all the map's coding. And I'll be honest, watching the Smash Direct, Sakurai did not seem happy. <laughs> I think he was really annoyed that people kept insisting he put Steve in. Well, he specifically told this story about, like, Nintendo executives coming. It's like, I'm sure you can put Minecraft into this game somehow. He's like, no. And it's like, come on, I'm sure you can do it. And he's like, they think it's, like, some magic, and I just, like, come up with the stuff immediately. Yeah, it's you wave your hands and the character exists. No, it's fucking days of coding to make this work. Like, oh, this fact, is not how you play the game. <laughs> in fact, most of that Smash Direct with Sakurai talking, I'm pretty sure most of it was complaining about Nintendo executives <laughs> actually telling us about what Steve does. To the point where it's like, and if you want to find out what the character does, because he's so weird in this game, 
I guess watch the uh, Minecraft thing happening in a few days. Yeah. I just like the idea of Sakurai just being like, alright, so we're out of Steve, but we'll fucking get there. First, I have to talk about the bullshit of how Nintendo's corporate uh, system is structured. To be fair, I feel like how it's going currently, I think Sakurai has characters he wants to get in, but he has to like put these other characters in even though he doesn't really want to, so they can get random obscure character that no one knows about that only he loves. Yeah. He's got to, every time he does one for himself, he has to do one for the fans as well. Because yeah, think of the same thing where he didn't seem too enthused about Byleth. No. Uh, but he seemed really interested in having Min Min in the game. Ooh, that's true. To be fair, I don't think anyone was enthused about Byleth being in the game. I think people I want. <laughs> I think people wanted the Three Houses character. I don't think anyone was yeah. that excited about Byleth specifically. I'm just happy that it's not just Byleth walking around with the sword. That's fair. The fact yeah. that she swaps out for the three or four different... Uh, Sacred weapons is at least a nice touch. Yeah, sure. I would have been uh, more happy with someone who wasn't another Fire Emblem rep, but Wild is fine. Sure. Uh, in other news, uh, we also found out that Marvel is again reshuffling uh, their Phase Four releases. Essentially, what this comes down to is, it sounds like Black Widow is no longer going to be the next movie we're getting. We're going to get Eternals, Shang Chi, then Black Widow from the sound of it. I'm alright with that. Like, I, it's a shame because Black Widow being the big female lead in Marvel and been waiting for a movie long enough that fucking Captain Marvel snuck one in before she could is a little bit disappointing. But at the same time, Black Widow is a bit of a known entity, so going back into her backstory, I'm going to learn less about the universe. Whereas Shang-Chi and the Eternals are characters I know about, but most of the fans of the MCU who aren't as familiar with the comic books have no idea what they're getting into with those characters. So yeah. it'll be fascinating to see how they do them and kind of introducing more magic into the uh, MCU. Yeah, yeah. Like myself, I know next to nothing about Chang-Chi, but what I do know makes me really excited that we're getting that one a little sooner. I also really like the uh, actor who's been tasked with cast uh, playing Chang-Chi because he's another Canadian actor. And I just, I think he's a super cool guy and I really enjoy some of the stuff he's been in. So I'm looking forward to seeing him play Chang-Chi. And uh, this is also not just the movies, but also the Disney Plus series. So we already found out that it looks like Falcon Winter Soldier is also getting delayed to roughly around the same amount of time as Black Widow, making it look like both of those movies are tied into each other, yeah, just yeah. like WandaVision to Doctor Strange. But we're not seeing that break up there, and WandaVision will be coming out this year. Okay, so it might just be that uh, even though WandaVision and Doctor Strange are tied together, it must be not more spoiled. so of... WandaVision kind of leads more into Doctor Strange and that, like, the events of WandaVision cause the events of Doctor Strange, which is kind of what we hypothesized when we were talking about Marvel Phase 4, whereas it seems like uh, Black Widow and Captain America and Winter Soldier, not Captain Falcon, Falcon and Winter Soldier, fuck, (laughs) uh, and Black Widow are much more directly tied together. Yeah, and we got actually a trailer for WandaVision uh, going on and uh, one for... Black Widow that came out that was originally supposed to be coming out in November. From the look of it, I think the thing that it might be spoiling, possibly by having them out of sequence, is I think Black Widow is setting up the Thunderbolts. Ooh, that that makes sense. And if that's the case, we might actually have the Thunderbolts be a main antagonist in some form through the uh, Captain... Uh, I almost did it because you kept fucking doing it. Sorry. Uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. 
Just call it Winter Falcon. The Winter Falcon. The Winter Falcon. Yes, that is a much easier name to remember, so I don't keep trying to say Captain America somehow. Uh, although this is only really affecting the first year of Phase 4 stuff. Everything from the year after, so for 2022, is all exactly in the exact same dates that it was before. Alright. Good thing fucking coronavirus isn't pushing more shit back further. <laughs> Uh, and uh, another interesting thing, too, is that we had Crash 4 come out. Yep. So, uh, Crash is back at it again. And a lot of people think, going back to a Nintendo thing, that it's looking more likely that Crash is going to be a character. Of course it is. Definitely not one of the Sakurai Chosen characters. It's going to be one of the ones that gets forced through by the Nintendo executives. But I still think he's probably going to make it in. Logical choice. Or logical uh I mean, once they put fucking logic. Banjo and Kazooie in, Crash was pretty much destined to follow at some point. Logical thought process, anyway. For those of you who are my favorite type of listeners who don't look at the episode title before starting the episode and are waiting until we discuss it in the episode to figure out what we're talking about, uh, this week we are talking about Scream, the Wes Craven movie, kind of an homage to slasher horror films. Um, yeah, it's... As I said, it's an homage to other slasher horror films. It is in itself a slasher horror film, but it's a little bit of a watered-down version because all of the characters in the movie are aware of horror movies as they are and aware of a lot of the tropes that exist, so they kind of subvert those tropes by their awareness to said tropes. Yeah, it's essentially the rest of Wes Craven, the director of the movie, showing his like enjoyment of the franchise by openly making fun of it and some of its cliches. And kind of subverting them. But at the same time, he really likes the franchise. This man is responsible for pretty much what we know about Freddy Krueger. Yeah. And having, you know, this chance to kind of play in the medium in that sense allows him to kind of break a lot of stuff. And actually, a lot of things Scream does influences a lot of these types of movies moving forward. Oh, yeah. A lot of these tropes that they make fun of or address just become more clearly stated going forward. Yeah, which, um, uh, going back to watch Scream can seem like, ah, oh, this is a very cliche movie now, but in fact, this was kind of the one that changed most of that. This is the one that created most of the cliches. I think a great sign of how much of a fan of these horror slasher films uh, Wes Craven is, is the fact that, as he kind of addressed, he was responsible for Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, the Freddy Krueger film, and literally, at the midpoint of the movie, just after, like, curfew's been called and all the kids are sent home, the principal walks out into the hall... And you see the janitor, like, cleaning, and he's literally, it is Wes Craven, yeah. dressed as Freddy Krueger, <laughs> yeah. named Fred. Because yeah, the principal's like, all right, Fred. <laughs> yeah, the hat and the striped sweater. What'd sure you call me? Nothing. <laughs> yeah, uh, fucking fantastic. So anyways, uh, let's just jump right in with the opening scene. Uh, so uh, I feel like with the opening scene, we need to address uh, kind of like a big thing for when the movie was coming out, and that is that... This type of movie up to this point, usually you had... Because they, they were they're kind of considered B-movies in a sense. They weren't the big blockbusters. So you usually had one really big actress to play the final girl, which is usually the characters designated to survive to the end of the movie. And then they either defeat the villain or manage to, you know, kind of stop them but die in the process. Yeah. And the only really big-named actress in this movie specifically was Drew Barrymore at the time. Now, yeah, there was Courtney Cox and the others, but they were kind of like side roles. To be fair... Uh, most of the like main cast were established actors. Like they weren't oh, big saying... names, but they yeah. were. They did already start subverting the genre because up until that point, a big slasher horror film thing was you just get a bunch of no named actors, so you don't have to pay them nearly as much. And that was another thing that this started to set as a trope was yeah. you start to hire bigger name actors and 
it gets a wider appeal because people are aware of Drew Barrymore as an actor. And they're like, yeah, let's go see the Drew Barrymore. Yeah, she had the pull that the other actors in this movie didn't necessarily have. And the, the cool thing about this, too, is it ends up kind of showing you the stakes of the movie because the opening scene, of course, is Drew Barrymore ends up getting killed by the killer. And what this ends up doing is, oh, wait, they killed off the biggest actress in the opening scene. You can, you all just start thinking, anyone could die in this movie. Yeah. And me, as a non-fan of horror that I am, I have to say that I did enjoy this movie, despite how creepy and uh, disturbing it was at times. And I'm just going to say this right now, the first scene with the first deaths and all of that, that was the most disturbing part of the movie. Oh, it's... By far. They set the stakes really early so that they don't have to... Like, by putting a lot of gore and violence and creepy themes in the very beginning of the film, they don't have to be constantly pumping out gore throughout the rest of the film. You know that the stakes are there, so if they cut away, you kind of understand what's happening off camera, yeah. too. and it kind of helps to stoke the embers of that fear throughout the whole movie. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, we get Drew Barrymore just kind of making popcorn, she gets the random call, and the person just, just kind of like, you know, playing with her in a sense. And then she ends up realizing, oh, this is getting creepy when he lets <laughs> slip. It's like, I want to know who I'm watching. Yeah. And then she's like, wait, what did you say? He's like, no, I want to know who I'm talking to. And she's like, that's not what you said. What do you think I said? <laughs> yeah, and he's just being a real fucking creepy dude, making it very clear that he is watching her in this moment in time. Yeah, and uh, then there's a whole thing where she's like, well, my boyfriend's going to show up. And, you know, oh, they already have the boyfriend. He ends up dying, which is probably... The most gory death? That was the most Yeah, where they death. literally rip out his innards. Yeah. Uh, so that, that really is kind of the peak of the gore. There are some more gruesome deaths, but not so much as visual. Yeah. yeah it's I would, more like the amount of blood. I would I argue those first two deaths are definitely the most gory ones, because Drew Barrymore's is also quite upsetting to watch. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Uh, this is also, like, right off the bat, they start addressing the fact that horror movies are a thing that exists in this world yeah. that all the characters have watched because over the conversation, the killer, as he has said, because I have the subtitles on because sometimes I can be hard of hearing and I also like to watch movies late at night when the volume low so that I'm not waking up people around me. <laughs> I happen to be watching this much later than I intended to because I lost track of time last night. Anyways, um, so with the subtitles, it literally addresses him as either caller or killer depending on whether or not he has shown his face on screen at that point. Uh, and yeah, so the caller makes a direct point of like, do you like scary movies? What's your favorite scary movie? And they start like talking about scary movies over it. So, Which is always stupid in other movies where like, for example, zombie movies are always the worst for this. Where no one knows what a zombie is. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, I don't understand. The dead have started getting up. I guess we try to... It's never like... Oh, it's a zombie. Destroy the head or burn the body and make sure it doesn't come back. It's like, just pump it full of bullets and hope it works out. And then you get, like, a newscast at the end of the film. It's like, we have discovered that destroying the head or burning the body is the best way to eliminate the corpse. It's just fucking zombie movies. The BS. But this one, they're actually, like, aware of the tropes. And, uh, yeah. They don't address the tropes so much in this interaction, but they do address the fact that they're aware of horror movies. Yeah, and the other cool thing about this scene too is it also gives us quite a bit hints of the reveal of who the killers are at the end of the movie. So, for example, one of the big things that it reveals in this one is, so the boyfriend's tied up in the back, but there's someone at the front of the house doing stuff, ringing the doorbell, knocking, and the boyfriend dies almost immediately afterwards. So it doesn't really give away who the killers are, but it gives away the fact that there's probably more than one. Yeah. Um, On top of that, the killer is doing all this running around in this costume, on the phone with her, it's like, okay, there has to be someone, otherwise this guy has amazing cardio. Yeah. 
Uh, on top of that, it also indicates that the killer obviously knows something about movies. Because they're a big movie bust to the fact that they end up uh, getting on with a trick question, essentially, that ends up causing her death, which Specifically is... Specifically horror movies. Yeah. yeah. They, spe- they ask her, they're like, we're going to ask you, play a game, ask you questions. If you get them right, Steve lives. If you get them wrong, Steve dies. The first question is, what's the name of the killer in The Nightmare on Elm Street? Yeah. Yeah, and she's like, oh, it's Freddy Krueger. She doesn't say it right away. She thinks about it, hums and haws, and then remembers it's Freddy Krueger. Uh, and then they're like, oh, well, you already said that Friday the 13th is your favorite horror movie. Who's the killer in that series? If you get it wrong, Steve dies. And she's like, oh, I know. In Friday the 13th, the killer's Jason Voorhees. And they're like, no, you're wrong. And she's like, I already told you it's my favorite movie. I know Jason Voorhees is the killer. And like, oh, well, if you were truly a fan of that movie, you'd know that Jason Voorhees isn't the killer in the first one. It's Mrs. Voorhees, his mother, because of the fact that she's killing kids to get revenge for the death of her son. Yeah, and her son shows up as a zombie at the end of the movie. Yeah. And it's just one of those things where it's like, they clearly have intimate knowledge of, at the very least, horror movies at this point. Too and we also start getting the call-outs of, like, movie tropes that you shouldn't do. For example, when the doorbell gets rung and then she calls it, who's there? And on the phone, he's like, you shouldn't say that. That's always how you get killed in movies. <laughs> Don't you know anything about this? Uh, which, but I think it's the following scene, too, where we first get introduced to Sydney. And she's talking, uh, no, this wouldn't be, uh, when, first, but when she's talking uh, about her later, scenes. where she starts making fun of the tropes, it's like, yeah. what, you think I'm just gonna run up the stairs or something? Yeah, he yeah. makes a question about asking if she likes, uh, scary movies, and she's like, no, they're the dumbest series of movies, it's always just some big-titted actress who doesn't know how to act at all, and she ends up running up the stairs instead of out the front door. Like some fucking idiot. And it's just one of those things where, like, she hauls out how ridiculous that idea is. And then later in the movie, she makes a run for the front door, gets the killer between her, and has to run up the stairs to get yeah. away. And yeah. it's just like, she's already addressed how dumb of a choice it is, but is forced into that situation anyway. Exactly. Um, but yeah, so Drew Barrymore dies. And the next thing we know, uh, Sydney, our faithful protagonist of this series, or the specific movie at the very least, is lying at home in her bed when Skeet Ulrich, her boyfriend, also known as Jimmy Pillison? No, Billy. Billy, Billy. Loomis. Billy Loomis. Not even fucking close. <laughs> yeah, Loomis as in the uh, psychiatrist from the Halloween movie. Yes, of course. Uh, Billy Loomis climbs through her window uh, to say hello and addressing the fact that he's never actually broken into her home before and he wanted to try it at least once. <laughs> Not like a creepy thing to address at all. He ends up pointing out because this movie is just full of fucking references to horror movies, uh, he says that the reason he ended up deciding to come over is because he was watching the TV version of The Exorcist and thinking about all the made-for-TV... Uh, the censoring and all Censoring that. for the TV version uh, caused him to think about their relationship and how toned down and not hot and heavy it's gotten, <laughs> uh, which made him want to come over and say hello to her. Really, I'm starting to think that the Scream universe is just a bunch of movie buffs. Everyone's a movie buff in this universe. Yeah. The named characters, anyway. Yeah. We also get a little bit of, like, a creep factor in the fact that the father starts, like, banging on the door trying to get in. And she's like, it's fine, it's fine. And he, like, opens up the door and he's like, I heard screaming. And she's like, there wasn't screaming. And the dad's like, alright, well, I put money on the counter and I'm leaving. So have fun while I'm out of town. Don't ask any questions. For a week. If you need to reach me, I'm going to be at the Hilton by the airport. Yeah, the Hilton by the airport. No way you can get that. He addresses up. that like four times just to like make it really clear we all know where he is. He's at the Hilton by the airport. Yeah. And then 
it's the following day that we end up getting the reveal. Oh, the, it was the murder, and people are realizing about it, and there's the newscasters all around town. We find out that uh, Sydney has like a horrible history with Courtney Cox's character Gailwhips. Yeah, just like because we end up finding oh her mother was raped and killed like a year ago, and she identified the killer, but. Some people were like, oh, that's not the killer, all that stuff. Yeah, uh, Cotton Mathers or something yeah. like that uh, was identified as the killer because he was the one who had sex with the mother, uh, but people are suggesting that she was just having an affair and he wasn't actually the murderer. I'm sure that plot point will be important. I'm sure it won't be. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, we also get introduced to a couple other high school students, specifically Sydney's best friend Tatum and her boyfriend Stu. As well as Randy Meeks, the horror movie buff who works at the uh, D- or the VHS rental store. Yeah. Almost a DVD, but this was not in time with DVDs. <laughs> yeah, so we get introduced to those students. I think at this point we might as well just address who the killers are so we can go over the timeline a little yeah. bit. of Yeah. So, so sp- spoiler alert if you haven't watched the movie and although, plan to. Why are you watching I, this if you haven't watched it? Exactly. Also, I refuse to acknowledge spoilers from a movie that came out 24 years ago. I mean, last night was my first time watching the movie. Yeah, and you were deserved to have that spoiled for you. <laughs> uh, so the killers are Sydney's boyfriend, Billy Loomis, as well as his best friend, Stu, the one who is dating her best friend, Tatum. Yep. Um, and they both immediately come off as creepy because they start making very distasteful jokes about I the murder. I mean, to be fair... Stu doesn't come off as creepy. He just comes off as an asshole through the whole movie. Because he's definitely fitting, like, kind of like the... No, he comes off as creepy with that weird tongue thing he does. Like, sticks out his tongue at everything. I don't know what you're talking about. I have no idea what you're talking about. You don't? Are you sure you were watching Scream and not Scary Movie? 100%. Because <laughs> uh, Stu's character is supposed to be, like, the stereotypical jock character yeah. in these types of movies. Where he's, like, the big, lung, like, lunging idiot, essentially. Yeah, he's the one who ends up charging into a room later to fight the villain and ends up dying while fighting the villain. Yeah. That's the role he's supposed to be taking on. The, the character that really comes off as creepy more often than that is Billy's character, which, uh, again, going with how Wes Craven's trying to take the tropes and change them on you, normally in this type of movie, there's the killer, but then there's also the red herring, essentially. The ki- person who's so clearly the killer that, like, you end up suspecting it is, and then usually you get that moment at the end where it's that character and the killer, and it's like, no, he did it, no, he did it, and the final person has to, you know, pick the right yeah. person to shoot. But, no, they called it immediately, everyone in the movie's like, it's Billy! Yeah, they make it super, well, they make Billy super creepy. Later on, they get him convicted of one of the, well, not convicted, but charged with one of the murders before he's released when they realize that he didn't actually do anything. Uh, and they're just, like, really trying to hammer home that it's Billy. Even after we're given evidence that Billy isn't the murderer in the fact that he's released because of all that stuff, like, Sydney's still visibly upset to be around him because she's still nervous about whether or not well, he's Well, there's the still killer. the fucking throwaway line at the end of the movie where she's with Billy, and it's like, ah, did, well, who did you call with your last phone call? Uh, wouldn't it have been something if you, like, to really just convince me you used your one phone call to call me to make me think that you weren't the killer? Yeah, <laughs> he's like, like, oh, okay. He's like, I called my dad, obviously, and she's like, no... The sheriff called your dad. I saw him call your dad. He's like, oh yeah, I called, but he just didn't answer for me, so I guess the sheriff had to call. It's like, I don't believe you. Uh, And yeah, she addresses like, it would be a really great way to throw me off your set if you called me with your one phone call to creep me out to make me think that the killer was still at large. Which I don't think that is the case. I think he probably actually called Stu, and Stu would have been the one to call her. Yeah, I'm pretty sure most of the phone calls through this are probably Stu. Yeah. (laughs) 
given that Stu is the first... So we end up finding out that they're disguising their voice using a voice modulator thing, except it's very clearly just a voice actor doing the voice on the phone, which yeah. is fine. Um, but anyways, uh, we actually, when the two killers reveal themselves at the end of the film, uh, Stu is the one first holding the voice modulator to like show that he is the killer, and then he tosses it to Billy, and Billy holds it up too to show that he is also one of the killers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but at this point, it's kind of the day at the school... Uh, and then Sydney goes home and ends up getting attacked by the killer. And there's a bit of a run for that. This is where she ends up making the lines like, you know, I'm not like, I don't like the scary movies because they're just stupid and predictable. Yeah. Uh, she ends up surviving. And then just as she's making a run for it, she's called the police through her computer. <laughs> yep. Uh, that's when Billy comes to the window and drops the cell phone. Yep. Yep. And she gets suspicious because the fact that who in 1996 had a cell phone except yeah. for murderers? <laughs> who fucking has a cell phone? But, but here's the other thing too. So this cell phone clearly had nothing to do with the murders because it wasn't tied to anything. So this kind of just leads back into the fact that Stu was just the one calling all the time because that's where all the phone calls got tracked to, which was, as Dewey called out, are we sure someone didn't just clone her father's phone because all the phone calls later get found out to be coming from a phone registered to Sydney's father. And then that's what it was. He's like, yeah, cloned your dad's phone. Well, I think it's also entirely possible that that was a phone being used to make the phone calls. And they, like, cloned the SIM card or however the fuck phones in 1996 worked. And they were just swapping it out to have both his phone as, like, proof that he's making phone calls and isn't the one making the creepy phone calls. Versus being able to make phone calls and be the one making creepy phone calls without it traced back to him. I'm not 100% sure, but I'm pretty sure there was no SIM cards that we have, like, today. Where you just kind of remove them on the phones. Yeah, I have no idea how phones in 1996 worked. Um, But yeah, this is where we kind of... I think we have to start addressing the timeline of what the killers are doing at this point. Because the first one, it kind of has to be both of them. It kind of has to be. But at the same time, it's also kind of definitely only Billy. Because of the fact that... So, the murders all happen and just after that, Billy climbs up into her window. So, clearly he went from the murders to her place. Climbed yeah, up the I think the person in the suit there was Billy. And I think it might have been, what, Stu off in the distance just kind of watching everything with the phone? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but... The first set of murders with Drew Barrymore and Steve, whose actor's name I can't remember, and Drew Barrymore's, I can't remember her character name, so <laughs> just mixing a magic here, you're going to have to accept it. Um, in that situation, the next day when they're all talking about it, um, Stu brings up the fact that he has a solid alibi because he was with Tatum the whole night, so they know he wasn't the one committing the murders. So kind of, ha- even though like logically it only makes sense if both of them were there... It kind of has to have only been Billy because Stu was setting up an alibi to prove that he wasn't the murderer at that point. Yeah, and to be fair, Tatum hasn't shown to be the most reliable person in in establishing alibis. Whereas, once again, because they're trying to lean hard into them making Billy look suspicious, they go out of their way to give him no fucking alibi because when he's talking to his father the next day and his father's like, wait, where were you that night? He's like, oh, I was like watching TV at first. He's like, yeah, I thought you were home watching TV. He's like, yeah, but then I saw The Exorcist and decided to go for a drive for a little bit. And then I popped over to a Sydney's house and climbed up through a window. And it's like, yeah, that weird, awkward amount of time where you went for a drive for a little bit <laughs> is super suspicious. And it's because you were committing a murder at that time. Yeah, and they even hold him in this time frame because they don't believe him. But that's when Sydney gets the phone call, which again, even though they kind of later on, it's like, oh, it was probably Billy. But, like, did he have the voice changer in the police station? He's like, okay, guys, I'm just going to make this weird phone call. Don't worry about it. 
I also... Hey, do you like scary movies? You put the wrong person in jail. Who are you talking to? Uh, nobody. <laughs> yeah, I think it has to have been Stu who made that phone call, which is why I think it was uh, Billy called Stu so that Stu could make know yeah. that he had been captured and mm-hmm. knew to make the phone call. I also think... I think they also not only tried to make Billy look suspicious, I think they also went out of their way to make Dewey, which is Tatum's brother, who's also the young police officer on the force, a young deputy. They also went out of their way to try and make him look really well, suspicious, Well, here's too. the fun thing. There's a, a few characters that you can call suspicious throughout the movie. Dewey, Randy, Stu, and Billy are kind of like the main focal points of who they set up. They also kind of hint towards the principal. Yeah, yeah. a little bit of a hint towards the principal, and... <laughs> For a little bit of the movie, anyway, I had a little bit of a suspicion going on against the uh, reporter. Gail? Gail, Gail yeah. not, not her. Gail Weathers, her cameraman. Oh, her cameraman. Kenny. Kenny. Yeah, Kenny. Uh, but here's the thing. like, if you When you're going through the movie and you're going at it from the perspective of these are the suspects, you happen to notice that a lot of them just disappear whenever Ghostface shows up, which oh, is I, really great. Absolutely. Mm. That's what I wanted to talk about. So I want to talk about Dewey specifically because I think they did a really good job of making him suspicious. Up until the point where they clear his name completely. Yeah. Uh, so they have him. Uh, the first instance we see of him with regards to Ghostface is that first night when Cindy gets attacked in her home uh, and she calls the cops through her computer, which is the thing you could do in 1996, I guess. Um, as she, as Billy climbs up into her room, drops the cell phone, and she freaks out and runs away downstairs, she opens up the front door only to see the Ghostface mask and it's. Dewey holding it up yeah, for her, yeah. and she freaks out for half a second, and, and he's he like, "Oh no, no!" She's ah! like, "Oh no, I was, I just found this." And it's like, "Oh, did you find it, or were you wearing it, and you just took it off and are now holding it?" And later on in the movie, we see like when Billy gets arrested and she gets the phone call. She like answers the phone in Tatum and Dewey's house, uh, and is talking on the phone. And the moment she starts talking on the phone, the mother's like, oh my god, it's the killer. She starts pounding on Dewey's door to get him to come out and talk and like figure out what's yeah, going on. And he doesn't come out until after He doesn't after come out until after she out. hangs up. Um, which is also super suspicious. We also see what is my favorite fucking Dewey moment once you go back and know that he's not the killer. Which is, uh, he takes them towards the police station before they go to oh, the party. Oh, is this fucking ice cream scene? Yeah. Yep. He takes them towards the police station, and he, like, drops off. He says, I gotta go talk to my sheriff. <laughs> I gotta go deal with, uh, some business. I gotta talk to the sheriff. Uh, I'll be back in a couple minutes. Don't go anywhere too far. And they, like, walk off, and it shows them in, like, a convenience store of sorts. But fucking Ghostface is sneaking around the aisles. He doesn't attack them or anything. He's just walking in the aisles behind them. So you're like, oh, Ghostface is following them. And then it comes to Billy and Billy's holding a fucking scoop of ice cream. It's like, so did you, like... Oh, not drop- Billy, Dewey. Uh, sorry, not Dewey. Billy, Dewey. Dewey's holding a scoop of ice cream. You're like, so Dewey, did you, like, tell them to, like, go away and then, like, go get ice cream? And, and like, even his chief is like, where'd you get that ice cream cone? <laughs> don't worry about it. And I said, like, don't worry. Uh, I thought you quit smoking. Yeah. Deflection. I think they're just trying to make you suspicious of the fact that, like, maybe he got the ice cream in the convenience store while wearing the Ghostface mask for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the thing. Ghostface just pops up in the background of this random shit situation. Yeah. And at this point, everyone knows that the killer is wearing this costume. But they, uh, to be fair, they also kind of established that the teens in this town are kind of assholes about it. True. And you can pick up this costume anywhere. But at the same time, I'm pretty sure this is the killer. Because why would they be targeting Sydney specifically? Yeah, why would it be like sneakily walking through aisles while staring at Sydney? The other one being when it's uh, Tatum and Sydney uh, on, I guess, uh, Tatum's front porch. Yeah. And then they have the conversation and they leave and it zooms in on the bush. And you see Ghostface kind of like step up, realize he's been caught by the cameraman. It's like, shit, and then try to dive into the bush again. Yeah. Fucking phenomenal. (laughs) And in these situations... 
I, I think specifically these are Stu. I, this, I have no doubt. Oh, it's 100% Stu. Both of these people were Definitely. Stu. Uh, so yeah, they kind of go out of their way to make other characters look suspicious just to like allow you to have the option to like believe like, oh, this is them leaving the breadcrumbs so that when I go back and rewatch it later and know that Randy is the killer, all this stuff is just like extra creepy. But no, it's just purely there to like leave breadcrumbs that don't lead anywhere. And this is where I think the movie kind of failed a little bit too because I think it's trying to set up that specifically Randy's supposed to be the person you think is going to be the killer at the end because he admits he has a thing for Sydney and he knows he'll never be able to do as long as Bill is around and all that stuff. And he actively is a big movie buff and every time Ghostface calls somebody that knows the main group, they was like, what are you getting at, Randy? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I'm not Randy. You also get like multiple moments where like People address, like, are, like, because they're talking about horror movie tropes and, like, who would be the killer. And Randy's always like, it's clearly Billy. Like, Billy's got yeah. all of the tropes leading towards him. And Billy's like, uh, what if I said it was you? And Randy's like, fucking of course it's me. I also have all of the tropes going for me. I, you could argue I have most of the tropes. Yeah, because yeah. this is the movie scene where they're in there. And the thing I love about this is when he's having the conversation with Stu, well, Billy, because this is after Sydney kind of breaks up with Billy. And he's... Clearly talking to like other women in the movie shop because this is where everyone hangs out in this town, I guess. And he's <laughs> something like the horror movie aisle for yeah. some reason. And he's having the conversation with Stu, and he's getting really worked up about it. And you can see people in the background just kind of like looking at him, just like to start walking away. Yeah, and he's like, everybody's a suspect. Everybody's a suspect. But yeah, he, he's convinced it's Billy. It's like, he fits all the criteria. And it's like, well, what's his motive then? It's like, well, motive doesn't really matter in this modern era. But if anything, Sydney probably didn't have sex with him. Oh, no. Motive doesn't matter for why Randy would be the killer. He doesn't need a motive to be Randy, is what he says. It's just the millennium doesn't need a motive. But Billy absolutely has the motive of Sydney will not have sex with him, so obviously he's going to kill her. Well, that end, he blames Sydney's family for his mother leaving town because apparently his father was also sleeping with Sydney's mother. And we find out that everyone was sleeping with Sydney's mother. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we also find out that it was absolutely Billy who murdered Sydney's mother because of the fact that she caused his mother to run away and also was kind of a whore, I guess, was the word he used. But here's the funny thing about this, too. Because when at the end, when they're explaining how they figured out how to trick everybody, it's like, you know, just watch a few movies, take a few notes. Like, wait a second. Yeah. Oh, and we're going <laughs> to... Hey, we'll, we'll get to the end soon. The end's my favorite fucking part of this movie. Because uh, at this point, it's school gets canceled. The principal is reprimanding two students. And this is where he seems the most suspicious of being the killer. He's like, hey, you guys should be good. That's the best you deserve. But when I was younger, I could definitely say, yeah, the principal seems suspicious here. But I even like knowing the twist... I don't seem as suspicious anymore. No, he no. doesn't seem the least. He just seems really angry that these people were like, because if you look through the movies, a lot of things like, remember the principal loves you. I think this principal actually really loves the school. He's just getting really upset that there's assholes everywhere. Yeah, he genuinely cares about the students, and yet after two students at that school have been murdered, kids are running around in the murderer's clothes, brandishing knives, trying to like do a prank. He's like, Jesus. Show the bare minimum amount of fucking compassion, you asshole. Yes. But he ends up canceling school, so everyone's going to leave early. And this is where one of the scenes I want to talk about had to come out. Well, he specifically canceled school because of the fact that uh, Sydney was attacked in the bathroom by Ghostface again. Which means that, once again, I'm pretty sure it was Stu because Billy was just interacting with her before she ran into the bathroom. But here's the problem, too, because that's the scene I want to talk about. Ghostface attacks her in the bathroom that there's no guarantee she was going to. And he was sitting in that stall. Yeah, uh, that's what I mean. Uh, she's talking to Billy. Billy creeps her out. She runs away. She runs into the bathroom. 
while she's in the bathroom, she's just standing at the sink, like, hyperventilating a little bit. And yeah, then she, she goes over- into the stall because the two girls. Yeah, she overhears two girls talking about how she's clearly the killer because she's psycho and she went crazy after her mom died or something like that. Maybe she's even the one who killed her mom. Who knows? And so she goes to hide in the stall so she doesn't have to confront these two. And then after they leave, she gets out of the stall and immediately gets jumped by what is clearly Stu, which means that Stu was also... Stu got into the bathroom first dressed as... Either as Stu and just walked into the girls' washroom and no one questioned it, or dressed it as Ghostface. Like no, he, he, he was definitely not dressed as Ghostface, because you see him step down off the toilet in the stall and then put the costume on. <laughs> True. So, clearly it's... Stu goes in as Stu before anyone else hides in the stall. The two girls come in and start shit-talking Sydney. Sydney comes in. Sydney hides in the stall. The two girls leave. And then Sydney leaves and Stu jumps out and adapts I mean, The thing about this is, too, like... How did he know she was going to be in the bathroom? Like, I know, okay, we have to establish this is a movie, it's a scene, that's what they had established. But, like, the co- like the background of, like, Stu going, she's going to go to this bathroom, and I'm going to wait. So it was Stu just sitting there for, like, a couple of hours, just like, oh boy, if she shows no. up, it's going to be so good! No, he wasn't sitting there for a couple of hours, because the full timeline of the scene isn't just her interacting with Billy and then going to the bathroom. It's her at her locker talking to Tatum and Stu when the two creepy guys start running past with the ghost face mask and knives. So she runs away from Stu, runs into Billy, has the interaction with Billy. So the moment she runs away from Billy, Stu's like, this is my chance. I'm going to run into the girls' washroom. He runs around the Sprints the other way around the school and goes to the bathroom. <laughs> All on the chance that Sydney went into the bathroom. 100% that's what happened. Uh, so then the police are called to the scene and they start uh, trying to corral things. This is also when Gail starts trying to get a little bit more involved in the case. And she's trying to question different cops. She first meets Dewey. Uh, finds out that Dewey is 25 years old. Uh, and that uh, she's like, oh, damn, that's too bad. You're, uh, I do really well in the demographic of 18 to 24-year-old men, so I guess you're just outside my range. Uh, and he brings up the fact that he is 25 now. He watched her show for a whole year. Which is another one of those hints towards him being the killer. Because we're also at this point learning that uh, this is the one year anniversary of the mother's death and Gail, since the mother's death, has been talking about how Sydney's clearly been lying and she's not actually caught ca- uh, cotton. So I think that's another way where they're trying to get you to think Dewey's the killer because he's just so been happening to be watching her show since she's been shitting on Sydney the entire time. Another reason why Dewey might be the one killing her. Another thing about his line is he's like, uh, I might be 25 now, but I was 24 last year was for 20. a whole year. Yeah, <laughs> It's like, god damn it, Dewey. Dude, don't be such a fucking weirdo. Uh, and, of course, during this whole time going on, we start getting that hint of, like, oh, Neil Prescott, Sydney's father, is missing, and we can't reach him at the Hilton by the airport. We haven't ruled him out as a suspect yet. We just need to reach him. He's clearly not at the hotel, because we called the hotel, and there's no one under that name staying. Yeah, and at this point, uh, Stu is like, we're throwing a party at my house. Woo! And then they also find out that, oh, all those phone calls are traced back to Neil Prescott's phone. So he's the killer. Yeah. It's kind of like the mindset going into this, but only Dewey knows at this point. Yeah, Dewey and the other police, none of the main characters. Yeah. None of the teenagers know. None of the teenagers know. All that Gale knows is that he's a suspect. Yes. So this is where we enter the fun part of the movie, which I think is the iconic scene that everyone kind of remembers really well. The 40-minute finale to this movie, which uh, a fun fact about the actors here, after they finish filming the scene... Because it's, again, a 40-minute scene that's just at this one house. They all got uh, matching shirts that said, I survived scene 118 or whatever it was. That's 
pretty great. Because it was like notorious for, uh, I think uh, it's kind of like just called the longest night in horror because of how long they spent filming that one, like, uh, like what, four or five hour scene yeah. uh, within the span of the movie, essentially. Mm-hmm. God. That fucking scene. So, the teens decide to have a fucking party and watch horror movies, which is another thing. This is honestly, too, the scene where Randy shines the most. Yeah, because it's him just... Oh, so it starts off with them arguing about what kind of horror movie they should be watching. Although we should also glaze over the fact that uh, when Stu was inviting the people to the party, we also had Ghostface messing with the principal and killing the principal in the school. Oh yeah, Billy was absolutely killing the principal at this time. For reasons unknown, but sure. Probably because he loved the students too much and Billy was not on board with loving students. (laughs) If no one can have love of my mother, no one can have love anywhere. (laughs) If no one gets my mother's... If I don't get my mother's love, no one gets the love from a parental figure at all. <laughs> um, but yeah, because uh, we get all the characters coming over, as well as so the student characters, as well as we're getting Gail, her cameraman, and Dewey decides he's going to sit in the background and kind of just watch the party, because if Neil shows up, he wants to be able to catch him before he does anything. And then, of course, Gail is like, oh, I'm going to, you know, make sure I, if anything goes down, I get the scoop. And she ends up walking around with Dewey. She's flirting with him, and they're kind of having a thing going off. But when they're in the house, she's putting a camera in there, which is becoming a very important plot point later. I Sure, but I also don't fully understand what her purpose in placing the secret camera in there is. Unless she's hoping to get live snuff footage of teenagers when the murderer inevitably shows up there. That's definitely what her To be fair, was. she does get at least two deaths on that camera. Yeah. Um, so anyways, they... Uh, we get a, a lot of different plot points that happened during the scene and I think we have to break it down by timeline because at first we're told Billy was not invited to this party because he's being super creepy and Sydney doesn't want him there and Stu was on board with it even though Billy's his best friend he decided not to invite Billy um, they're watching the movie they start watching horror watching movies Halloween. start watching Halloween uh, Stu which has a character named Dr. Loomis in it yeah. uh, Stu decides to walk away for a second I think he's going to answer the door or something uh, and tells Tatum to go get him a beer from the garage, which Tatum takes as, I'm going to go get like a dozen beers and hold them awkwardly in my arms yeah. from the garage. Yeah. At this point, the ghost face shows up. And based on how we know where posi- characters are positioned, it has to be fucking Billy just fucking Wait, with Tatum. Here's the weird shit, though, because if it has to be Billy, the killer doesn't come from outside. The killer comes from inside the house. Yeah. But also, I take issue with the scene because we get, when she goes into the garage to get the beer... We get the information that the garage door does not work. It goes up a bit, but then comes back down. Yeah. Well, we also get that the garage door is somehow tied to the lights as well. Because when she turns the lights on, the garage door goes halfway up and halfway down. Uh, And then later on when the lights get turned off. So I don't necessarily know that Ghostface came from inside the party. because No, because he has to come from... So the layout of the garage is there's the garage door at the end. There's the fridge in the back corner, and then right across from it is the stairs going up into the house. And when the doors open, even when Ghostface is leaving, he leaves through that door and closes the door behind him. Oh, he definitely goes back into the party. But this doesn't make sense with Billy being outside the house. But we don't know that uh, Ghostface entered through there, because we don't see Ghostface entering the garage. In fact, for all we know, fucking Billy's just been hiding in the garage for hours waiting for someone to come That is possible, I guess. Uh, Especially because of the fact that Stu is the one who sends Tatum to the garage to get beer. So Stu could have known that Billy was waiting for her in the garage. Yeah. uh, And was sending her there to get murdered. Because we don't see him enter. We just see her enter, 
go to get the beers and then the door shuts and the lights turn off and she walks around, turns the light back on, realizes the door is locked and then gets murdered. <laughs> also, she thinks it's Randy. Yeah, she does yep. think it's Randy when he stands in front of her at the door in the ghost face outfit. Not saying a word, but just shaking his head. I really enjoy how she's like, oh, do you want to play Psycho Killer now? <laughs> Don't no. kill me, I want to make it to the sequel. She didn't make it to the sequel. Yeah. So yeah, she gets stabbed real bad at first. Tries to escape after she uh, kind of knocks down the killer, tries to escape through a little cat flap in the garage door. Which is a strong choice, I guess. Yeah, trying because to climb through. she was there beside the switch to activate the garage door, so she could have easily reached up over the collapsed body of the killer... Pushed it pushed to it open the door halfway at the very run. Ran through the hole that opened. But no, she's just going to try and climb through. Also, she couldn't get back out of the door when it was going up. No. Nope. Uh, so then, yeah, the killer sees her climbing through the cat flap. And she's like, I'm going to fully open the garage door instead of half opening the garage door. And apparently this garage door motor is made of the strongest motors of all time. Because <laughs> it snaps her fucking spine and kills it. In solid steel. Yeah. Jesus. Oh, because I, I was like, that's not how a garage door works. <laughs> It's really not. No. In fact, I'm pretty sure if you have a garage door at your home and you try to hold on to it when it's opening, it's not going to open. No, it does not have that much force associated with it at all. But this one does because it's Stu's and Stu is planning this, I guess. That's true. Maybe Stu specifically got the murder version of the garage door. <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, Tatum dies, but no one knows because apparently the garage is invisible in the house. No one else thought to go get beers from the garage. Yeah. Um, and at this time, Billy shows up and just wants to talk to, well, well first of all, Randy yeah, tries Randy to... gives the rules of survival horror. Yeah. Oh, no, for, before Randy gives the rules of survival horror, Randy explains how he's going to go try and hit on Sydney real quick because Billy's not here. And Stu's like, it's not going to work out for you. And he's like, I'm going to try anyways because I got a thing for her. And then Billy shows up and Sydney immediately forgets about Randy. It's like, yeah, let's go talk in private. We need to talk. Because I have, you've been patient with me, and I haven't been sucking your dick enough, I guess. Uh, <laughs> Pretty much. And uh, so then they, Randy just settles into watching a horror movie and explaining the rules of a horror movie. Yeah, because they all get angry because uh, um, Jamie Lee Curtis, who they're talking about, doesn't get topless in this movie. <laughs> and it's like, uh, they're talking about, it's like, oh, you guys don't know the rules? And he pauses the fucking movie. And it's like, we're not watching any more of this until I explain everything in detail. <laughs> Rule number one, you're not allowed to have sex. You have sex, you're gonna die. Yeah. And everyone's like booing along with it. You yeah, can't yeah. drink, you can't do drugs. <laughs> That's uh, another cardinal sin. It's an extension of the first rule. You're just breaking the rules, you're gonna die. And rule, rule number over... three, never, ever, ever say, I'll be back. I'll be right back. Because right you will not be right back. And he's like, like oh, I'm gonna get a beer. Do you want anything? He's like, yeah, sure. He's like, I'll be right back. <laughs> Which is another great piece of timing because now we know Stu didn't go to get a beer. He ran upstairs because just as uh, Sydney and Billy finish uh, consummating their love. Uh, well, not quite because at this point, uh, this is when they get the phone call and Randy finds that the principal's dead. Right. So the rest yeah. of the party leaves. Yeah. The yeah. rest of the party leaves. Because and they all, get all in their cars the other teenagers are excited to see a dead body hanging from the yeah. flagpole. Yeah. So all the other teenagers leave. In their cars, but presumably without a view of the garage where fucking Tatum is just hanging there. Yeah. And it's the other thing, too, because Dewey and Gail have gone off, too, because uh, they reported a car, like, parked off the side of the road. So they went off. They almost get hit by these cars and end up finding uh, Neil's car, of course. Uh, but the other thing here that I have to wonder about is, so, 
was their plan to have the dead body, and they only invited people to the party, aside from the main group they wanted to kill, that they knew would run off the first time they hear there's a dead body on the field of the principal? No, I think there was... Or did they plan on killing everyone here? If so, how did the two of them plan to overpower, like, these four no, jock they, guys? They probably just banked on the fact that everyone in their school is a complete Yeah, I don't think they lunatic. specified who they were invading based on the fact that they'd see a dead body. I think they comfortably knew that everyone outside of the protagonists would be willing to see a dead body. That's fair. No matter who it was, they could have invited, like, a grade school and he would have been like, dead body? I'm gonna get on my bicycle and ride all the way there so I can see it. Uh, so yeah. Uh, all the kids run away because of the dead body. Randy just continues lying on the coach, drunkenly watching the movie. Yeah. Um, Billy... Goes away and puts on the ghost face suit and goes upstairs. This uh, is, Stu. Sorry, Stu, Stu, not Billy. But this is at the same time that Billy and uh, Sydney are having the conversation of, oh, it would have been real susp- or real clever of you to make the phone call to me. It's and like, specify this is after they've had sex. Yeah. yeah. And he's like, you still suspect me? I am hurt. What do I have to do to convince you that I'm not the killer? Maybe fake your death with corn skip. Yeah, and then he happens to turn around and they very cleverly show the like knife going towards him and then have him just turn around and have a white sweater that's just soaked in red and you're like, oh, he's been stabbed. There's no holes in his sweater, but he's been stabbed. That's what's going on right now. She freaks out, runs away. Another thing I actually really love about this movie is in a lot of other like horror type movies, it's oftentimes like the normal people running away from the killer or like tripping over shit. And only slowing down the killer by throwing shit back at them. But in this series specifically, the killer trips all the goddamn time. Not just trips. The people body this killer quite a bit. Like, he's getting punched, drop kicks, thrown downstairs. Doors slammed into his face. Oh, it's fucking phenomenal. And I like to think that every time this is happening, it's specifically Stu. Yeah, of course it is. I think it was, like, the first time they picked up the mask. It is completely dented in. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Stu... Oh, no, not Stu. It did happen to Billy once because when we know Billy was the one killing Tatum in the garage and Tatum decks him in the face with the door to the fridge. <laughs> yep. Alright, so uh, Billy is presumed dead at this point even though he's definitely one of the killers. Uh, and Sydney runs away. Um, she manages to get out of the house without the killer directly chasing her. Uh, at the same time, Gail and... Dewey are now coming back to the house because they've discovered yeah. Neil's car. So at this point, to be fair, you could argue that you could still suspect Dewey at this point because we don't really get a direct correlation of time between what they're doing to them. So it could be we're seeing what Dewey's doing at a different time than what everything is happening at the house. So I'm getting the house would tie up the loose ends, essentially. Not the case, because at this point, we end up finding, oh, these characters are dead. You suspect Billy is dead. So really the main suspects come down to Randy and Stu. Stu. Now, we're given a pretty good idea that it's not Randy, because, so, uh, Randy lying in the coach watching this the This is probably my favorite scene. Yeah. yeah. Screaming at the movie about how Jamie Lee Curtis needs to turn around and Just see what's Just turn around, he's right behind you! Meanwhile, Stu, in Ghostface getup, is wielding a knife behind him, drawing it back, about to stab down into him, when fucking, uh, Sydney right outside sees Tatum's corpse and screams, drawing the killer's attention. Uh, so then... Sydney ends up running up to the news van to find somewhere to hide. Uh, they end up watching the movie and they see fucking... Yeah, they, <laughs> they see Randy watching the movie screaming at the screen about the fact that the killer is behind Jamie Lee Curtis. And they start screaming at Randy through the screen because the killer is directly behind Randy. Turn around, kid, turn around! And then the cameraman just got, 
or remembers that, oh, there's a 30-second delay on this. Maybe I can get to him in time. Opens up the van door only to have the killer there slit his throat. Yeah. Well, first he notices that the front door to the house is open, and he's like, oh, there's a 30-second delay. And he turns back just in time to see the killer turn around and walk away, and he's like, oh, fuck, where's the killer? Yeah. And then turns around just to have his throat fucking slit. Yeah. And Sydney closes the van door and then sneaks out of another van door, and the killer decides to chase her (laughs) through the van and climb through the tiny hole she climbed through. 100% Stu. Rather than (laughs) running around the van and just meeting her at the door she's sneaking Anytime we get a slapstick situation with the ghost face, I assume it's Stu. Well, I mean, Stu is played by Matthew Lillard. He does slapstick very well. He's played fucking Shaggy, for fuck's sake. And just, even the gesture he does when he's cleaning blood from his knife just fits his character so well. Yeah. So we get a few more bit of the running around. Uh, Sydney uh, is kind of like running around the house now. At this point, we get Gale and Dewey return. Dewey goes off into the house. Gale goes to the van. And this is where she encounters Randy. And ends up knocking him out and then driving off in the van. Well, the best fucking part about that is she's calling 911. Randy just taps on her and is like, help, there's a killer around here. And she fucking kicks the shit out of him in the face like four or five times with a brick phone. And, like, doesn't consider, like, finishing her phone call with 911. She would rather break her phone and crash her car into a tree yeah. than address Yeah, because the... Sydney's there. It's like, help! And she kind of goes off the street and hits the tree. Yeah. And it's like, oh, Sydney killed Gail. Yeah. And then this is uh, where uh, Sydney's heading back to the house. And then Dewey walks in. It's like, ah, Dewey! Kind of like getting that last one. was like, oh, maybe Dewey was the killer. But then, oh, no, he was stabbed in the back. Yeah. Uh, so then Sydney enters the house. Uh, locks the door behind her as Stu and Randy both argue about how the other one's a psycho killer. Yeah. Um, which I... That's well, I like this point because it was setting up like the classic no shoot him, no shoot him moment. She's like, no, fuck you both. Like, shut the door. Yeah. Well, the other part I love about it is just the fact that like clearly at this point Stu had just ripped off the clothes. So I like to imagine Randy actually saw that but didn't try to actually verbalize that thought. He's just like, no, he's a psycho. You gotta kill him. She's like, nope. Closing the door, moving onward. Uh, then Billy gets back up and he's tumbles seems, down the staircase. Though tumbles down the stairs, it seems like he's bleeding profusely and about to die. And he's like, "Nah, it's corn syrup, baby." And then he opens the door so that Stu can. Well, he opens the door first, and it's like, "What are you doing?" He's like, "No, trust me." He gets the gun, opens the door, uh, shoots Randy. Randy goes down. It's like, "What are you doing?" And then obviously he's like, "Oh, it was corn syrup, just like they use in the movie Carrie." Blah blah blah. I'm the killer! And then she runs over and sees Stu there. It's like, Stu, you gotta help me! Billy's the killer! And he's like, oh, damn shame. And he pulls up, like, the fucking ma- voice watch and he's like, hi, Sydney. Yeah. <laughs> Which, at this point, you could possibly think, if you didn't know it was Stu at this point, like, ah, oh, Stu found the voice modulator and he thought this was another good opportunity to make a joke. Yep. Uh, so then we go through the whole reveal of Billy and Stu were the killers. They talk about how movies convince them to do it. Well, not movies convince them to do it. They decide to do it on their movies own. Movies don't make killers. They just give psychopaths ideas. <laughs> yeah, they make them creative. Um, and then they decide, explain how they're going to kill Sydney, uh, and then blow the father's brains with a gun. Because uh, he, he frame snapped him. finally after killing Sydney and killed himself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they are going to stab each other a bunch uh, and just barely survive to clear their names as potential killers. So... This is probably where the biggest flaw in their plan comes out. Yeah. The bad, well, the thing is, they decide to stab each other before killing Sydney or her father. So Stu starts going loopy from bloodlust. Yeah. I just love it because Sue's like, F- 
falling down into a chair and like he gets stabbed like four times by fucking Billy and then Billy's like alright grab the gun and she's like uh, Billy we got a bit of a problem here and Billy's like what the fuck are you talking about it's like the gun's gone man also she pointed at this point they we find out that they put Neil's car out there in the woods they uh, presumably kidnapped him before he even got on the plane and had him locked up in the basement of Stu's house for this whole time yeah then they uh as they're like trying to figure out where the gun went they find out that Gail Weathers picked it up she survived uh, the crash yeah and Bill's like Stu you just, I thought you said she was dead it's like she looked dead uh and then rather than fucking and she's like oh rather than the ending you're describing how about this one hero reporter catches criminals and stops their evil plan pulls the gun on them Bill is just like I know something you don't know and she's like yeah what is it and goes to shoot him and is like the gun works better with the safety off and takes the gun away from her and yeah, he knocks her out he's about to kill her and then Stu turns around and is like uh oh and it's like god damn it Stu the best part about this so the reason he says uh oh is Sydney grabbed her father and ran away with him um no I don't think she grabs the father no, because the father's also not there. Neither yeah. one of them is there. Uh, so, uh, the best part about this is Gail pulls the gun on them uh, and then says, like, what about this ending? And Sydney's immediately like, yeah, I like that ending better, too. But based on the way the timeline works, the moment Gail says that and Sydney chimes in, she must have immediately grabbed her oh, father yeah. instead of running away and calling the police. She immediately took the distraction like, yeah, I like that ending, but I'm not helping you. Yeah, and that, this is where, like, the, the fun twist of the movie ends up happening, where, uh, well, Billy's looking around for trash in the house, and Stooge is kind of dying on the counter. Yeah. The phone goes off, and he picks it up, and it's uh, uh, Sydney now calling them as Ghostface <laughs> to finish the job. And it's like, oh, I called the police, blah, 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 all that stuff. And this is where probably my favorite Matthew Lillard moment of the whole movie yeah, happens. Yeah, 100%. Where it's like they're talking. It's like, okay, Billy's got a motive. What's yours? It's like, what are you going to tell the police? Like, I don't know. Peer pressure. I'm very susceptible to this. <laughs> no. uh, my favorite Matthew Lillard ma- moment is from that same scene, but just a couple of seconds later. Did you really call the police? Yeah. Did you really call the police? Yes. Oh, man. <laughs> my parents are going to kill me. Yeah. Oh, fucking great. Uh, so she ends up doing the Scooby-Doo moment of running around the house. Yeah, she dresses up as Ghostface and actually attacks them. She stab... So, the problem is they both stabbed each other multiple times. Yeah. That's one, so they're both a little winded. She stabs Billy with an umbrella. He collapses. Uh, Stu tackles her over the coach and she drops a TV on his fucking head. Yeah. Uh, and then she goes back. Uh, Gail's got the gun now. She shoots Billy as he stands back up. Well, there's another line here because uh, before uh, Gail shows back up, Randy's there after they kill Stu. Yeah. <laughs> and Randy's so like, you're alive. you're alive. It's like, yeah, I've never been so happy to be a virgin in my life. Yeah. <laughs> because one of the things he said when he was going over the rules, virgins never die. Which is why, even though he shot point blank, it only hit him in the shoulder and he lived. But at this point, this is also when Billy gets back up and just clocks him. Yeah. And that's when Gail shows up. and With the gun, yeah. shoots Billy. Uh, and then... Billy, uh, Randy stands back up. Billy, Randy, or not Billy, Randy and Sydney are talking, and Randy's like, oh, I don't know about this. They yeah. always stand back this up. Is the, yeah, this is where the killer gets his last scare. <laughs> this is where he comes back to life to get that last scare. And then he, like, jumps up and, like, sits up and is like, ah! And then gets shot in the fucking <laughs> Which, okay, Billy clearly heard what <laughs> what Randy said. So he, he had to have been having his gears turned and everyone's like saying, okay, if I get back up, I know they have a gun. There's a chance they might shoot me. But if I lay here, maybe I'll live. But 
I do, I do like scary movies. I like what Randy's saying right now. I think I'm going to do the jump up and scare. I'll just go, wow, we're going to do an ooga booga. Gets up, Sydney shoots him in the head. And that kind of ends the movie Not right my movie. Yeah. But overall, it's probably, I'd say Scream is probably one of my favorite slasher movies. Yeah. And the other ones are definitely good, but I think just the charm of Scream 1 is just so good. Well, I think we can kind of address... So, Scream 1 is very much a horror movie with an homage to horror movies, and a lot of the time they're addressing tropes of different horror movies. Uh, as you go further into the series, they continue addressing tropes, but in different ways. So, Scream 2, they're addressing the tropes involved with creating a sequel to a horror movie and how you have to amp things up and all this stuff. Yeah, you have to amp it up. You have to kind of explain why the killer's back through mythology or something like that. Uh, pretty much going back to something prior to the first movie. And then as they explain, well, the finale or the trilogy thing is you have to tie it back to something from the original movie that kind of went unanswered or unnoticed. And then uh, the fourth movie deals with the joke of how you to reboot a horror franchise. Yeah. Deals with the idea of a soft reboot where all that shit still happened, but now we're doing a new story with different characters as the main focus. Yeah. So it's definitely uh, really good for like what it did at the time. Don't go As I going back to it, you can kind of be like, oh, well, it's kind of tropey and cliche, but again, this is kind of the one that set up all the modern concepts yeah. of this stuff. I think the first two definitely have that effect. I think the third and fourth just are a little bit tropey, but I think the first two just kind of established a lot of the tropes. Yeah, and me myself, being the not fan of anything horror or slasher that I am, even I'm still interested to see the next movies. Yeah, they're, they're really good. I do recommend going through them if you get the chance. Uh, so Matt, I gotta ask, this was neither me nor Keith's first time, so it's a little bit of a different experience for us. Were you able to figure out who the killers were ahead of time? Uh, not really. Because I, I didn't quite pick up on that whole thing that there'd be two killers right off the bat. Like, I didn't really I notice. mean, to be fair, even when I watched it first time, I didn't catch yeah, it. I didn't, yeah, I didn't really notice, like... Ringing the doorbell and then being immediately at the back. Yeah, it's, it's kind of the thing when you... Uh, well, I guess that's the thing with most, you know, murder mysteries or slasher things like this where it's a physical person and not like, you know, Jason or Freddy. Yeah. Going back, it's like, oh yeah, of course! It, <laughs> that makes and, sense. And it's also, one of those details you pick up on later rather yeah. than at the beginning. And also movies kind of skim over the whole, like, time thing. Kind of skip around here or there. No, everything's as it seems or takes as long as it seems to take. Yeah. So who were you the most sus on during the movie? When the first couple times we saw the reporters, I was most suspicious of Kenny, the cameraman, who was always slow getting out of the vehicle, but the reporters were always the first at the crime scene, or among the first at the crime scene. Alright, I can respect that. And I even, I held on to that suspicion until the end at the house party, where Gail went in to hide the hidden camera. And was like, okay, that's a great way to know where people are in that room for when he goes off to kill people in other locations. But then he just stayed in the van eating cheesies. I'm like, oh, not him. Fair. I, so I actually do remember my first time watching. So this time I was aware it was Billy and Stu the whole time. But my first time I was 100% sauce on Dwight slash Dewey. I fully thought he was the killer, especially with the fucking ice cream scene. Um, and it wasn't until towards the end that I... Figured out what yeah. was going on. I suspected him also when he first popped in holding up the scream mask. But immediately after that in his following scenes, I just started to doubt him less and less. I mean, there's actually a fun theory for that. Because in the community, like for fan theories within the scream uh, concept, 
There is a very strong uh, theory that suggests that Dewey was the third killer. So the original killers was actually three of them, but Dewey uh, never was in a position where it would have outed him. And then when he saw the plan wasn't working, he just kind of decided to leave it as be. Yeah. Because uh, the idea is that he was also sleeping with uh, Sydney's mother. Well, there's even the fact that like when he's first meeting with the reporter and she has the line about how he's been watching her series since Sydney's mother died. There's also the throwaway line where she's like, you wouldn't look like you're a day over 12, at least from the neck up. You're very in shape. And he's like, yeah, well, with this, these boyish good looks, I have to be in peak physical form for people to take me seriously. And that like kind of explains a lot of the physicality of the murderer yeah. that you see. But also... Could also explain the doofiness of it. Yeah. But also when you uh, know who the murderers are and you look back, like, oh, yeah, the first murder, the girl was dragged out of the house and hung up in a tree. The killer must have had at least the strength to lift the body up into the tree. Yeah. And that makes sense when you look at Stu's character, who was the jock. Yeah. yeah. And on top of that, too, like the idea goes of the reason Billy was able to, you know, get out of jail custody so easily with, you know, so much evidence pointing towards him was because of Dewey. And that's why a lot of the stuff went And the whole clone phone thing. The clone phone, and as well as the fact that they suspected Neil, and Dewey was the only police officer at the house. Yeah. Yeah. And think of it this way, too. The killers have been pretty accurate with killing almost everyone up to this point with the knife. But Dewey just got stabbed in the back and fell down. That was it. Mm-hmm. So, like, there, there's a th- fan theory that Dewey was, you know, part of the original three killers, but just never got caught. And that was the idea of where the sequel would go. But if anyone knows going forward, Dewey's clearly not the killer in any of this. Yeah. It'll be in the reboot reboot, though. <laughs> um, well, it actually was addressed in the parody scary movie, Dewey was the killer. Yeah. Yeah, the parody scary movie was like, because he was, he was, share what? Uh, Do- Doofy. 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 <laughs> and he was just like a complete idiot. And then like all this stuff goes on and they think they got the killer. And then at the end, she's like, wait a second. And then all the stuff kind of starts flashing on the screen. It's like, it was Doofy. And then he pulls off his fake mustache, puts his hair normal, and then drives off in a car. Yeah, he's, it's very, because the way scary movie works is it's not a parody of one movie. It's a parody of like six tied together. Um, but the ending is very unusual suspects in that it's just making him look out like Verbal Kent or whatever the fuck his name yeah. is from. Kaiser the, Soze. Kaiser Soze. Uh, from the end of The Usual Suspects in that like she even drops the cup and the bottom of the cup says Doofus Industries on it. It's like, <laughs> yeah. oh, that's where he came up with the name Doofy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's fucking dumb. Um, anyways, so I had originally planned and written out questions for a Peter game for today and then realized it was not at all a fair Peter game because it was going to be all about the different references and tropes and how they appear in other horror movies. <laughs> and then I realized Matt did not have a yeah. single chance oh, no. to no answer way. any of But I can continue my perfect streak of Peter games. So I decided against it because I didn't want to bully Matt. For this. <laughs> so I just want to chalk up another one of my losses, huh? I <laughs> increase that streak. I might just do it for another one of our uh, Spooktober episodes and really just fuck over Matt. Because if I do it at all during this month, it's going to be shit that Matt is not as familiar with as Keith is. I'm aware of the tropes, just not really where they come from. Well, that's what it was going to be about, where the tropes originated. Alright, so. Is there anything else about Scream that we want to address? I think we covered most of that stuff for a little. There is one thing I want to address, because uh, as we mentioned, there are more movies in the series. And... This first movie actually got a lot of backlash because a lot of people tried to claim that like murders across USA and across the world were 
based off of this movie. Some people were trying to learn from this movie to commit murders. Which is own. funny because in the movie they even address like, you know, oh, movies don't, don't make killers. killers. It's just killers getting ideas. Yeah, killers yeah. just get ideas from movies. Uh, and they kind of address that. And then the sequel... <laughs> so the series does a really dumb thing, which is that in-universe they start creating their own versions of the Scream movies. Stab. Called the Stab series. Which is a really fun thing because this series was originally, like when it was originally produced was produced under the working title of Stab and then was uh, renamed to Scream based off of Scream Queens, which are the famous uh, heroines from Scream movies who do the screaming. Yeah, though usually it's the final girl doing the big scream. The most notorious and famous one at this point is probably Jamie Lee Curtis, who yeah. is the Scream Queen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so anyways, uh, Stab was the original working title, and then in-universe they create the Stab movies based on the real-life events of what happened to Sydney. Yeah. Uh, and so in the second movie, they're just premiering the Stab movie, uh, this first Stab movie. And then murders start happening and everyone starts blaming the movie for inspiring killers. And it's just like, they like, in universe, go through like, no, that's not what happened. These murderers are murderers and it's completely ancillary that the movie came out. That is not why they're committing murders. They might be adapting their plan to accommodate the movie, but the movie is not why. To the point where the killer at the end even addresses like, Oh, Billy and Stu just wanted to get away with it. I don't want to go get away with it. I want to go to trial and blame movies for the reason. <laughs> I'll get the whole Christian coalition to pay for my legal fees. Definitely, I think, even though you don't like horror or like this type of stuff very often, I do think you will enjoy just the, the, the concept of how the yeah. screen movies develop. I mean, the second one also... So, the second one also deals with the trope of... Uh, minorities in horror movies and how they never survive to the point where there there's like four main minority characters in the movie uh three of them die and the fourth one constantly addresses the fact that black people don't survive in these types of scenarios so he's gonna leave until all the murdering's done and he literally comes back after the murdering's done he's like hey can i work for you again i would like to be a part of this story now that the murders are done <laughs> Alright, so, uh, that's all we have to talk about for Scream. Do you guys have recommendations for things outside of, uh, this? Sure. It's like, nothing horror-related, because, you know, me and horror don't mix. But, parody-related, yes. A good old parody that, like, everyone should have seen, or at least heard of by now. Monty Python and the Quest for the Holy Grail. <laughs> Fantastic movie. Keith, do you got a recommendation? So, mine's just kind of going the next logical step past Scream, if you're, like, seeing the change to, like, the slasher horror genre, and that's Cabin in the Woods. Cabin in the Woods is another phenomenal Yeah, one. Cabin in the Woods does, essentially, on the more modern take, I believe it came out 2011-12-ish? Yeah, I think it was 2012. Yeah, which, uh, pretty much what it did to the horror genre, slasher genre, at that time, is kind of the same deal as what Scream did back when it first came out, where it takes all of the tropes that have kind of been in effect since that point, and then plays with them, not just the concept of, like, you know, you know the Jacques, Jacques character, the final girl, but also the concept of why people watch these movies, and it's really great. Yeah. Uh, I It's not so much a slash film, but it is another whodunit, and I might have already recommended it, but I'm really hoping I didn't. Uh, it's a movie that came out within the past, uh, it actually was 2019 at some point, uh, Knives Out. It's another fantastic oh, yeah. one of those stories. Uh, not quite slash movies, but it's a whodunit where murders are happening and you have to figure out how and why. And there's all these little clues to figure out as you go through. So I think that one's a fantastic film as well. Do we have a question for the audience? What's your favorite horror movie? 
No, not horror. Actually, <laughs> what's your favorite scary movie? What's your favorite scary movie? Uh, actually, uh, one that could be an interesting one is, uh, if not just, uh, so you can either answer what's your favorite scary movie or what's your favorite scary movie trope. Oh, I'd like that. Because yeah. there are a lot of really great tropes in scary movies. So either what's your favorite scary movie or what's your favorite trope. Or if you want to be like extra special and maybe even get a call out during our episode, what's your favorite scary movie and trope and how is that trope used in your favorite scary movie? Get bonus points if you manage to tie the two questions together. <laughs> all right. So uh, if that's the case, I think we're probably done for today. So I just want to thank you all for listening to today's episode. Uh, you can also find us on all major podcasting platforms. Anywhere you can find podcasts, you can probably find us. Uh, you can also find us, our videos. Videos is not the right word. But a video version on YouTube. Uh, you can reach out to us on Instagram where we post uh, pictures whenever we upload. As well as whenever we record. Give you a chance to kind of figure out what our topic is ahead of time. Uh, you can also reach us by emailing us at whatismypodcastabout at gmail.com. Uh, all of those words are spelt the way those words are normally spelt. There is no fun spelling in that email, sadly. Uh, if you have a question or want to give us a suggestion of what our podcast should be about, reach us at our email. And we'll be sure to check back in. Well, maybe not check back in. We'll address your email. Tune in in a fortnight for our next episode. Keith, what what is that? What? That is that blood? Oh, I hope that's not Chris's blood. <laughs>